Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, or tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's episode, we are talking about relationship with food, body image, and body neutrality in dietetics from Olympic athlete and soon-to-be dietitian Jordan Dillacruz. Jordan has recently created a brand called Her Athlete to help empower women in sports nutrition and to provide a community for women and young athletes. On today's episode, we're talking about how do you balance the principles of intuitive eating, non-diet, and supporting positive body image while you're in a weight class dependent sport like Olympic weightlifting. Jordan talks about her personal experience as a professional athlete and how weight class sports can be a very toxic culture of negative self-talk, extreme dieting, or weight control practices, how she's working to navigate this and to create a more positive culture both for herself and for her teammates around her. She talks about the pitfalls of macro counting and how to balance eating for peak performance and eating for pleasure. We also discuss how you can preserve a positive relationship with food even if you are competing in a weight class sport. We also discuss, and this one's for all the regular people out there, how do you know if you're doing too much as a general athlete or gym goer who isn't competing at the Olympic level, aka 99.9% of us. And if you are someone who competes at the local level, which is something that I've done before, what are some red flags or how do you know if you're in the wrong weight class? Last thing before we get started today, don't forget to check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedating to see all of the goodies we've been dropping over there lately, including our non-diet meal planning power hour and non-diet meal planning guide, bi-weekly non-diet meal plans, an entire year of bonus episodes, resources, and action steps to help you integrate recommendations from our episodes into your life in a non-restrictive way. And as always, the link to Patreon will be in the show notes. So Jordan, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited to have this conversation. And I wonder if you could start off a little bit by, if people don't know you, introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and go as far back as you want to. So maybe how you got into weightlifting and then very casually became an Olympic athlete. And now you're entering the field of dietetics with a really unique perspective. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And nothing about that was casual. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, none of it was casual. Um, But yeah, so I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, I've done sports since I was really young. I did gymnastics and then I did a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of basketball. I ran track. And then I started to do both sideline and professional or sorry, competitive cheerleading. And that's kind of where I was for about five years. And that's where I was when I started to get into CrossFit. Um, I say that hesitantly because I did probably (laughs) workouts, like to be honest. (laughs) Um, It's I, I just went to 
get more muscles. Like I remember being in cheer and I wasn't strong enough to be a base and my tumbling was suffering too, because I just wasn't strong enough to, you know, have all these tumbling passes throughout a two minute routine. And then I'd get so exhausted. So my coach was like, you just got to start, you know, doing some extra workouts. Luckily my mom was in CrossFit at the time. So I just went in and did a class with her and my whole journey, I feel like has just been a, like, so lucky, like, thank goodness I ran into this person who so happens to know this person because so many doors opened for me. Um, cause when I got into CrossFit, so happens the coach was also a USA level one weightlifting coach. So he was able to spot that mm, she's not a really great runner, but she can really lift some weights. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so thankful <laughs> for him and his like introduction into weightlifting because once I found the barbell, it, I mean, it, that was it. I, I literally quit my cheer team, um, let's see, a couple months after I emailed my cheer coach and my parents didn't know. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going to go into weightlifting. Sorry. <laughs> um, also, sorry, mom, because she already paid the bill for that season. So that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, whoops. <laughs> whoops. Um, and then also, I quit public school. I decided I wanted a homeschool. And that was something that like was because of weightlifting. I wanted to train at a time that my coach was only able to coach around like noon and 2 p.m. And what like 15 year olds life is free between 12 and two. (laughs) So I decided to homeschool. And then from there, I was just qualifying for different divisions in weightlifting. So you usually start with youth and junior, depending on, on your age. And then you go from local meets to national meets, and then you'll go and qualify for international meets. And that that's sort of the progression. Um, I'm missing a, key, a few key steps there, but. Um, <laughs> years yeah. and years of training. <laughs> it's like, this is over a decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once I got in it, that's all I was doing. Um, everything from school to where I wanted to live was just all, it, it all molded around weightlifting. And that's just what I've been doing for the last decade. Um, I'm coming to the near end of my career, which is bittersweet, but I have lived such an incredible athletic career. And that's kind of what sparked her athlete and is just kind of a shift in directions in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you've had a really cool career and it's been really cool to watch, especially in the last couple of years. I, I know you didn't even mention it because I'm getting the uh, impression that you're a very modest person, but Jordan did compete at Tokyo. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> and just got a great bronze at World Champs. So, you know, very, again, very casual, not casual. Um, but I think it's really, really cool that you have been you know, while you're still doing all of this, and even if, I feel like even if your athletic career wasn't, you know, winding down, which does sound very scary, whether you're a college athlete or you're a high school athlete or you're an Olympic athlete, like a world-class level athlete, it's like, oh my gosh, my whole life, my identity has been an athlete and like, who do I become from here? And I think it's really cool that you've taken all of that experience and all of the things that you have learned and you're now transitioning into the field of dietetics as someone who has that really unique background. So 
can you tell the listeners a little bit more about the kind of the mission and like why you wanted to start Her Athlete? So I always knew I would create a brand like Her Athlete. Um, A lot of that was shaped by my experiences. I've been a professional athlete for a long time. Um, So that's just where my heart is. That's where my expertise is. Um, But I I, kind of expected to wait till after I got my credentials and and when I could provide more like professional services. Um, But two two reasons why I started to hurt athlete as a student. Um, One is access to education and two is community. So I think being an elite athlete, it's really interesting. Um, You know, you spend all of these years working towards this level. And once you get here, now you have access to all of this support. Um, As an Olympian, I have my own, uh, I have my own sports dietitian. I have my own sports psychologist, um, sleep specialist and physical therapist, um, performance director. I, I just have all of this support. And what I don't really like about it is you don't really get that support until you get to that level. And in order to get to that level, you have to have all this years of hard work, experience, privilege, and and honestly, luck sometimes. <laughs> um, and for me, I really wanted to just bridge the gap. I wanted to be able to offer the education that I was receiving from professionals and then offer it to this platform that I was gifted. I, I have quite a large following that I've created or cultivated throughout the years. And I, I just wanted to bridge that gap and and also to provide a community for athletes because a lot of my followers are younger developing athletes. A lot of them are women, girls, females, and I, it was important to me that they felt like they could get some kind of community of support because that's what I had. And not everyone is going to go through sport the way that I did. They're not always going to meet the people that I met or um, be in the environments that I got to be in. So that was just kind of the the final push for me to create her athlete as a student and not later later in my life. Yeah. And I mean, as also as a dietitian, I think that's a fantastic idea. Like I also did that. I started like building and creating my brand and really focusing on the education before because you're right. I mean, even if you're not looking to become a professional athlete, there's a huge gap, especially with, you know, financials and privilege and everything is like you can provide so much education and so many services to people on a free platform like Instagram or TikTok or something like that to people who don't have the money in order to, you know, work with you even when you did get your credentials and you started doing your supervision and everything like that. So I really commend you for that, especially given the perspective that you're coming from, because it does come with a lot of clout, you know, and it's interesting interesting because when you look at the general social media world, there is this kind of unspoken credential that you'll laugh when I say this because we both do not agree with this, but it's basically like, oh, well, if you do the things that I do, then you will look like me and perform like me kind of thing, which we know does not work. Right. So it's I think it's great that someone coming from this background and someone who also is having this training is like, actually, that's not the way that it is, you know, and you're using the platform and the clout that you have in a way that is extremely educational and being like, even if you did all of the things that I did, we probably would not end up in the same place. And 
Another thing that I love that you've been talking about a lot, and there's a big focus on not only the evidence and the education uh, base that you're using on your platform, but it's also talking about how body image and relationship with food can really play into your experience as a professional athlete, as a world-class athlete, and even at you know the local level or the young girls that are getting into weightlifting, which is really cool, but at the same time, as a weight class dependent sport, that can really, really cause a lot of potential strife, right? And you had this quote recently on your Instagram that I loved that was, my weight class does not define me. My behaviors, values, and beliefs are not based on the weight class that I compete in. And then talking about how the environment of a weight class dependent sport pulls those body related topics to the center of attention, especially around competition time. So can you talk a little bit more about your experience with that and then maybe go into some advice for people of like, how do we not go crazy on our body image when you are in a weight controlled sport? Yeah, it is very hard to walk that fine line. I you know, as a dietitian student, I'm constantly seeking for mentors and just and just people that I want to um, sort of copy as 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 a way of like how I want to represent myself as a dietitian. Um, so, with that being said, I follow a lot of intuitive eating dietitians, anti diet dietitians, and it's it's interesting because I want to balance those principles, but also I am a active weight class athlete. So I have to Mm -hmm. weigh a certain weight. I have to step on the scale. It's not something that I can just throw out of my house and say, see ya, never going to look at you again. (laughs) Um, Because unfortunately, that's the reality. And I think that a lot of sports are like that. You've got wrestling, rowing, um, just a lot of sports that are based on weight class. And and I'm not necessarily against it because I think that is how you make the sport fair. Um, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be super fair for a smaller body to compete with a heavier body because mass moves mass, especially in weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think through what I'm trying to do with finding who I am as a future dietitian and as an athlete, I'm trying to find that balance. And so there's a lot of times where certain principles don't necessarily apply, but then I do want them to be a part of my journey as an athlete and, um, and I do, because I am aware of these like anti-diet, intuitive eating, body positivity, body neutrality type principles, I do see the um, the gaps, the potential harm, the negative um, self-talk and just just toxic culture that, that weight class sports can be. Um, and so I notice when I'm in these environments, so... For example, we just went to the world championships in Saudi Arabia. We stopped in Paris for a training camp so we could um, uh, adapt to time zones and all that stuff. Um, And so I'm with all these athletes. And so I guess to back up, weightlifting is a decentralized program. So we all train with our own coaches at our own states. So we're not usually all together. And Usually when we are together as a team, it is close to competition. So everyone's super focused in on performance, recovery, nutrition, et cetera. Um, So when I was in that environment, I was a little shell-shocked because I am so used to my little protective bubble and my support system, the people that I let um, in and 
when I was around these people, I was just shocked by how often we talked about weight class as like an identity, you know, uh, it's sort of like a thing in weightlifting, you would introduce yourselves or like the announcers will introduce athletes as Jordan Delacruz, 49 kilo weightlifter. And the reality is I'm 49 kilos for about half a second. Um, I am not 49.0 <laughs> like an hour before, and I'm not 49.0 an hour after. Um, so it's it's really um, misleading and, and, and kind of a weird concept that, that weightlifters like our identity is in our weight class in those numbers um so with that said there's a lot of talk just when we're eating when we're in the dining hall and we're you know a lot of plate comparisons a lot of like we got to feed our supers which are, supers are our our weight class where um uh, it's like 109 plus or or 87 plus um so you can weigh anything over those 80 87 or 109 um but with that said, you know, I noticed based on like body language, like that was like, no one really wanted those comments. Like no one really wanted to entertain that. Like it was like, haha, funny at first, but after a while, it's mm -hmm. like, no, just like, I'll take care of myself. I'll feed my body how I want to feel, uh, feed it and like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and so I started noticing just like body language. And for me, I took that engine and then did not entertain the the conversation anymore sometimes i would quite literally walk away and that may have been a little awkward um because i just felt like the moment i engaged now i'm talking about someone's body and mm -hmm. they may or may not have been in the room so it's a very fine line and i'm still navigating it to be honest i think it's really tricky and then also the educational aspect of it is like you know, not everyone's aware that body talk, it could be harmful. Mm -hmm. And even within my own team that I train with in Georgia, like my teammates with like, they support me, they love me, they mean us with all good intentions, but they may say something about my body when I'm cutting. And it's, it's like, oh, you're looking really jacked right now, or you're looking really lean. And I'm just like, well, I'm not really eating all the carbs that I want to be eating. And I'm hungry at night, or I'm not able to go out you know, to dinner with you guys, because I got to, you know, control what I'm eating. And so it's like, mm -hmm. if it wasn't me, if this was anyone else, it's really easy to, to take that and be like, Oh, look at all these compliments I'm getting. So maybe all these bad things I'm experiencing, like, in the safety of my home, maybe they're not so bad. And then it's those moments that those are going to carry with you throughout the rest of your life. Because a lot of times, the experiences we 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 live through as athletes, those those will exist with us for the rest of our lives. Um, so yeah, I think I think just trying to navigate those like gnarly waters is it's like my biggest life challenge right now. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And as an athlete, information is coming at you from so many different places, right? And it's not just social media. It's your coaches, it's your support team, it's your teammates, it's athletes that you may follow on social media, right? Like I work with a lot of athletes one-on-one -on -one because I also have coached swimming for 12, 13 years at this point. And then I also work with weightlifters and CrossFitters and everybody like that. And it's 
it's so interesting because when we'll go into health history and the beliefs that they have around certain foods or how much they should or quote shouldn't be eating as an athlete or things they should or shouldn't be eating whether it's just in regular training time or closer to competition time or at a swim meet or anything like that it's so interesting to hear oh well you know uh, this coach when I was 12 or this coach when I was 16 said you know I should do this or I shouldn't do that and even as a coach on the pool deck like you'll hear things that other coaches will say who have no background or credentials in nutrition or anything like that but it's interesting because from a coaching perspective you do want to be able to provide your athletes with a certain degree of different kinds of information because as a coach you're like a nutritionist you're a sports psychologist you're a coach you're a support staff you're all these different things but at the same time for these athletes yes (laughs) yeah and it's It's so hard both from an athlete perspective and as a coach perspective, right? Like I can see it from all the different perspectives here, but you know, some of the things that coaches or teammates or anything will say, like you mentioned, can stick with you for your whole life. And then when you get someone as a client, whether they're an athlete or a non-athlete, you know, whoever it is, and they're like, oh, but you know, this, they basically will say it like as fact. And it's like, well, hold on. One, let's look at the evidence and see if that's true. And then even see if this is applicable to you or appropriate and safe for you to put into practice based on your relationship with food and all of this other stuff. But it is difficult, like you mentioned, because it's like, well, how do we kind of find the middle of the Venn diagram is how I describe it to people of, you know, the evidence-based nutrition recommendations that are out there for whether it's sports nutrition or chronic health conditions or anything. And then also coming at it with this perspective of trying to be non-restrictive and non-diet and body liberation, body neutrality, but then also knowing that there is a very specific condition that you need to meet with Olympic weightlifting or something like gymnastics, or if you have an autoimmune condition, for example, right? This is the kind of intersection that's really hard to find the middle of. And there are some times where you need to skew one way a little bit more because it's a specific season of your life. Like, I don't know, you're competing at the Olympics and you're in a weight-centric sport or something like that. So it's just, it's a really hard middle of the Venn diagram to be in. And this is something that I try to always work on in my social media messaging and then obviously with my clients as well. And I really commend you for doing that as well because it's a hard place to be. Like it is way easier to just go to one camp and stick with it. You know, that's why people are very into the like food is medicine and very all or nothing. And in a sense, the kind of anti-diet community can also be very all or nothing in a sense as well. It's like, well, just throw out the scale, you know, your body weight doesn't matter. And then some more extreme sections of that will also be like, well, nutrition doesn't matter at all and just eat whatever you want. And it's like, well, hold on. We can, we can find the middle of this. (laughs) There is a middle, (laughs) but it's just more difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Super nuanced. For sure. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is (laughs) people do too much. (laughs) So like if people are competing at the local level or they're just competing for fun you know even if people are just like training at the gym and not competing or anything I find in my personal experience like both as a clinician as an athlete and then observing other people I'm not a weightlifting coach but just seeing other people and the experience of my teammates is like people will train and excessively control their macros like they are a high level athlete right that's competing at an extremely high level and most of the time 
they're highly restrictive and really mm-hmm. under eating, which can cause a whole lot of issues and everything like that. Like you don't have to do all the things if you're not a professional athlete, but what is the advice that you would give those people? Well, even as a professional athlete, like I really do not like macro counting. Um, and I hate the association with macro counting and nutrition. I think in my mm-hmm. community, when people say, oh, we got to dial in my nutrition, it means we got to start macro counting or it means we got to start reaching out to these macro companies. Like it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. And I I think, um, I think just being open about my experiences and talking about it, like these are things that people aren't really talking about. That's what gets people to think for themselves and what they like for their nutrition and how that affects their performance and recovery. So for me, I do track macros when I'm getting close to a competition and I do it in a way that is what I feel a little bit flexible Um, and what I feel is I'm actually able to extract the most that I can get from a deficit. If I'm not actually tracking, I may be cutting too much, or if I'm not tracking far enough in in advance, maybe I've been under eating this whole time. So now I'm going to be cutting already from a deficit. So I use macro counting as a tool and I use it loosely, um, And I use it during different phases of training and different phases of just my life. So, I mean, weightlifting, we don't have off seasons, but we do have times where you're not competing a ton. Um, Maybe this is like three to four years out from the Olympic year. You're not competing a ton. You're going to more like, um, like local or national meets where you don't necessarily need to weigh a certain weight in order to qualify for, you know, whatever it is. So with that said, I'm going to be a little bit more loose in my, I guess, quote unquote diet regimen. Um, and for me, the importance of that is that I still love food. I love to cook. I love making recipes and it is really hard to track stews or or like pies like it's just it's hard to track when you like (laughs) love to cook (laughs) and it's also annoying like I hate measuring everything um so I do that to preserve my relationship with food I also food is a very big social aspect to me like I love having my friends over for dinners or like we go out to fancy restaurants I'm a foodie we live in Atlanta and Atlanta is the hot spot for food right now um Mm -hmm. so those are like those components of food and nutrition are really valuable to me and I want to preserve that. So when I can, I make sure to kind of, I think I posted it about this recently is that I, I have like this balance being between eating for performance and eating for pleasure. You can absolutely do both simultaneously, but sometimes you can do one more than the other and it's still okay. And it's still really important. Um, So with all that said, I feel like just talking about this kind of stuff is what gets people to think for themselves. Um, I think when elite athletes are so closed in on what they do, and then you see these like really kick-ass performances and you're like, oh, I bet they're doing this, this, and this. When in reality, they may not actually be doing those things, or there's a little bit more flexibility or nuance to it that it's just not spoken about. So then you just assume athletes are so regimented and like are so strict and like only eat 
nutrient dense foods. Like that is not the case. I mean, I haven't met an athlete who is like that. I'm probably the, probably the most out of at least my group of (laughs) teammates who are the, who's the most like conscious about my nutrition. And I still have a lot of flexibility in that. And, and yeah, I don't want to ramble. (laughs) Hey, that's what podcasts are for. You can tangent as much (laughs) as you want, but I think it's, important for people to hear that as well, especially as someone who is in one of the smaller weight classes, right? Like it would be an easy assumption to say, okay, well, someone who competes bigger than that, you know, especially for the supers and everything is like, oh, well, they have so much more flexibility and they can kind of, you know, do whatever they want. And I think there's a lot of assumptions around nutrition and sport like what you mentioned I mean especially as a swimmer growing up people are the nutrition advice quote-unquote that you receive is like oh just eat whatever you want it doesn't matter because you're going to burn it off right when at the same time like that may be true for younger athletes when your metabolism is like on 100 but also there are specific components of nutrition that we can add in to help muscle recovery and rebuilding and repair and everything like that right it's it's trying to find this middle ground between like what is the intentional flexibility that that I can add in to make sure I'm not messing up my relationship with food but also knowing that there are going to be different seasons of my life where I have to pay more attention to certain things and I really like that you called out the like eating for pleasure and eating with intention for performance can both coexist and we're not demonizing either of those right I think that's really important as well because when we start to get into, you know, the good versus bad foods or even, quote, good versus bad modalities when it comes to training and nutrition and everything, whether it's for athletes or people with chronic health conditions or regular people, it's really about, like you were mentioning, trying to listen to the signals that your body is giving you and learning to meet your body where it is, which can be really, really difficult when you do have to do something like macros, because in a sense... I find in my personal experience and working with people and just observing this in the gym that like doing something like macros or a very strict nutrition protocol for a really, really long time can lead to extreme disconnection with your body because you feel like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be eating this way. Like I need this amount of protein and carbohydrates and everything in order to fuel my performance. But then what happens if you get hungry in between your six meals a day or whatever it is, you know, or what happens if you're excessively full and you find yourself kind of overriding those systems in your body and the internal trust that you kind of have. And then when people go off macros, they're like, I don't know how to eat. I really don't because I'm just used to just kind of plugging and playing and like doing the formula. And then once that's gone, the hunger and fullness signals are off, the relationship with food, the body image, all of this stuff comes out to play. And they're like, please help because <laughs> the only way that I know how to eat is macros. Yeah, you associate food with the amount of grams of protein this item food item is like it instead of being like mm-hmm. oh well you know I love this because it tastes great when you cook it this way or um, I love mm-hmm. to share like a steak with my significant other on date night or something like that um yeah you, you macro counting absolutely can be a trap in in a way like it's a it can be in a a, a helpful tool and very easily harmful um and you, and i think a lot of athletes are can be type a and get too lost in the exactness of macro counting um and it, you i mean personal experience like i used to get 
super excited when I used to put a piece of chicken on the scale and it read exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, I'm so good at this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So turns out like, I mean, I don't think that getting excited about getting it exactly on the scale is a problem, but you can see how it becomes a problem. Uh, you just mm-hmm. get too fixated on the numbers and you lose a lot of the different depths that food is and nutrition too. Like, I think another point is when people want to dial in their nutrition and they start macro counting, it is all about like getting ready for a competition in terms of getting their body weight either down or up or whatever it is to meet that weight class. When they may not consider, okay, I'm upping my protein and this is going to help me recover. This is going to help me sleep better because everything about peak performance is you're doing all of these things, nutrition, recovery, um, mental skills. All of this is like building up into a pyramid to where you can compete at your absolute best and you're going to feel great. But a lot of that doesn't have to really do with the number on the scale. It, it, a lot of it comes from, you know, your health data. Like I have an aura ring, for example, and it's really interesting to see how food impacts my sleep and, and which then impacts my HRV, which then impacts like my ability to, um, have like a, I don't know, the health score performance score that aura has. And, and you can see the trends building to like, a nice 100 when you get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you kind of you kind of forget that when you're dialing in your nutrition, it's not just about fitting into the weight class and getting ready for competition. So there's a lot more components to it um, that lead to helping you get to peak performance. Yeah. And I think a really big piece that I think it, people have been better about talking about this more in recent years, but mental health is also such a huge component of peak performance as well. And then when we're looking at kind of balancing the scales of mental health and nutrition and body image and relationship with food and everything that can go into that, I'm sure you've experienced and seen other people when they're basically in the wrong weight class for them and they're trying to control their food so acutely and so restrictively that their mental health then really starts to decline. And that can really affect you on meat day as well. So this is a weightlifting specific question, but I'd be really interested to have your take on this. How do you know, or what are the signs that you're in the wrong weight class? Ooh, um, (laughs) (laughs) like, like you said, like all of these different components that make you as a human, when they start to fall short, Um, you're probably in the wrong weight class. And this goes either when you're cutting or when you're gaining. So one example is um, if you're, so for cutting weight, if you're always in a deficit and it's starting to impact um, your sleep, your hormones, um, which then affect your mood. And then now we're shifting into mental health. Um, If you're cutting too often, if you're, I mean, there are, my my sports rd has like a a spreadsheet for like um ranges where athletes can sit at um like how above your weight class you can sit at before you're like within the red or within the yellow or whatever and cutting becomes unsafe um and it kind of goes to on the flip side so if you're 
um, trying to go up a weight class, but your body really doesn't want to, and you're just constantly having to feed it, like, then you're really going to hate food. You're going to have this horrible relationship mentally with even just thinking about eating. Like it's going to make you want to vomit. And that is not any kind of relationship you want with food. Um, So I, I would think those kind of symptoms and signs would indicate that you're in the wrong weight class. Um, what's another, you'll start to see too in your performance. Um, cause then again, like all those components, they lead to your ability to perform in training and then in competition. If you're starting to see, you can't, um, if, if, if you can't maintain, um, strength or, your um your technique is impacted because let's say you're not able to execute the amount of power you need like in the i'm getting really technical here <laughs> in the power totally fine i'm with you <laughs> in the power position um of the lift or just yeah you'll start to see it in your performance and i think that's where having a support system like your coaches your professional registered dietitians, your sports psychologists, all those people are there to then say, hey, you may not notice this because you're like in the trenches right now, but we are noticing a decline in performance and we may need to take an alternative approach. Yeah. And I, I think that's so interesting because especially if you are someone who has competed at a certain weight class for a really long time, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation of how like you are introduced as a 49, right? Like people's identities get really caught up in their weight class. And then even if objectively, you know, everyone else can see and you yourself can see, okay, I've been having a really hard time with this cut and like the last couple of ones. And, you know, as weightlifters, we train at whatever our, you know, typical body weight is, you know, with the way that we consistently eat and train and everything. And then if you are way off whatever your weight class is and you have to severely manipulate your food and all of these other things to get there, it was funny because I was talking to Christina about this. She's like, I just don't understand. Like, how could you possibly cut that much and then like still expect to perform at the same level? Which is funny because like, as weightlifters, we're just like, oh, well, this is just something that we do. If you cut that much, we're like, oh yeah, like I can still do, you know, my PR that I just hit a couple weeks ago. Like my openers felt good, you know, everything like that. And then you go down and you're like, why does everything feel like I'm moving through mud? Like what is happening, you know? And we find that so normal, but then to people who are not in this world, they're like, logically, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of components that go into that. And, and with that said too, I mean, my RD says, like, she has a lot of input in in what competitions I'll go to. Um, because if I mm-hmm. have to cut over four times in a year, that's too much. Um, or if the cuts are too close, she'll have, she'll say, can we, can, can we aim for another competition? And it's really hard at, at my level because each of those competitions are qualifiers for the Olympics. So it's like, kind of sacrificing an opportunity to make the Olympic team because I'm trying to prioritize my health in a way that I will actually survive this quad and I won't just be crawling to the Olympics even if I did make it. Um, So there's a lot of weight that goes into those decisions, but it is a huge factor in like how many times you cut throughout the year. You know, we want to preserve as much muscle as possible. That's the whole point of weightlifting, right? We want to build and then use those muscles to lift a lot of heavy shit. 
um, we don't want to lose that muscle towards mm-hmm. the end. So there are strategies, there are ways that we can try to make it as um, manageable as possible. But of course, there's limits to to each. And it's interesting, you know, to circle this back to the conversation of like people do too much. This is for the highest level of athlete, right? Whereas I see this happening very frequently just in our regular gym with people that actually don't even compete more than once a year or compete at all is like women especially will try to stay at their weight class weight which is in a severely caloric restricted state and I really just want to be like guys (laughs) like if if you are constantly in a deficit or constantly trying to control your body size in order to fit into a specific weight class, it's probably too much because then the other thing that we can run into, and we don't have to go into this too much because we've been talking for a long time, but is you can run into something like low energy availability or red S, which like not enough people are talking about. And I find that most women in general, especially people who are in CrossFit gyms or, you know, Olympic weightlifters, not at like a national or international level are severely Mm -hmm. under eating. And the only macronutrient that they're really fulfilling is like protein, period. I'm like, well, what, what about the energy? Like, what about all this other stuff? What about our hormones? You know, what about all these other things? And it's so hard hard because when you are in a weight controlled sport or even if you're not when we go to the broader implications of like the societal kind of uh expectation that we have that like skinny equals healthy when we know that that's not true you go into this kind of really horrible mishmash of like nutrition for performance and I want to compete in my weight class but I also want to be super aesthetic and I want to have abs and I want to have all of these other things which I feel like people in the general population are getting a little bit better about, but I think it's going to take a lot longer in sports like CrossFit and lifting and gymnastics and everything. It's just, it's hard. For sure. Hard place and to be in. yeah, I don't know who needs to hear this. Someone needs to be, uh, needs this kind of validation, but you can absolutely go to a competition and lift in whatever weight class that you just naturally sit in. You don't have to cut. You don't have to gain. That's not at all a part of peak performance. So I don't know who needs to hear that, but you're allowed <laughs> Everybody you're needs to hear that. that. <laughs> um, and honestly, that's so cool. Like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> like, if I could go to the Olympics in the weight class that I want to. So in 2024 for this quad, uh, the 55 kilo class, it's no longer an Olympic class. So I, I had to either go down to 49 or go up to 59 it's quite far for me um so like i would Mm -hmm. love to be able to do that um so kudos for you (laughs) (laughs) well especially if we're just competing at like local beats you know and 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 then it's another thing if like people then want to qualify for american open and then people want to qualify for this and people want to qualify for this it's like that i completely understand but at the same time if we're just regular people competing for fun which like most people are even though sometimes the whole couple of weeks leading up to competition really does not feel fun (laughs) on top of all the stresses that you have in your life when you're just competing because you like weightlifting or because you like the sport or whatever the piece of advice that I would try to give as like both an athlete coach and dietitian is like 
if we're doing this for fun and you're really having a horrible time with either cutting or gaining or whatever it is, we need to re-examine why, like go back to your why for doing weightlifting in the first place. Like if it's something that you enjoy and you're putting yourself through misery and not only yourself mentally, but like physically in order to go into this weight class or like hit these weights or putting so much pressure on yourself, we need to scale it back a little bit. Yeah. And remember that weightlifting is a lifelong sport. Like that's what's so cool about this is you can do it at any age. And if you want to be doing this when you're in your 80s, which you absolutely can, um, and you want to be in this community, you want to like strength train because you love how it feels like those are things to reflect on and remember like this is why you're doing it. And and manipulating your body weight is is not actually a big it's, it doesn't have to be a big part of weightlifting and it shouldn't be um yeah and i think i actually had a teammate who she was going to cut down for the 49s at a local meet to then qualify for a national meet and i was talking to her and she was going through all these different life challenges right now it's just a really difficult season in her life and she was starting to see all these symptoms that are like red flags to me. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to cut down to a weight class because your goals are to go to nationals. Like, I'm not telling you that. I think that's a really big goal for you and I'm going to support it. But this season in your life right now, it's taking a lot out of you. So being in a deficit right now, not a good idea. Um, is there a way we can just go to this meet and weigh whatever we weigh and try to attain some performance goals first? And then we can reevaluate maybe next year or in the next six months, like where we are at. And if you can handle a deficit because other life factors have calmed down. Um, so that's an important thing too. If your life's too crazy, if you're a mom of five and you're running all over the place and then you're probably under eating, like... <laughs> Maybe we just not necessarily sit this competition out, but let's not worry about cutting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important to reiterate that, like what you just said is if your life is bonkers, then mm-hmm. your performance is probably not going to be 100%, right? Like you were talking about with that pyramid is like all of these things are kind of building you up. And if there's a huge building block, that's a very important part of your life. I mean, maybe you're traveling a lot for work. Maybe everybody's sick at home. Like maybe you have a new baby. Like maybe all of these different things that could be going on is like don't put the expectation of yourself to perform at 100% if all of your cylinders are not firing on 100% because there are things that are outside of your control. And that's not an invitation to try and control those things either, right? Um, But, you know, it's funny because I wanted to go back to one thing you said of like weightlifting is a lifelong sport and you can be doing this when you're in your 80s. And some people are probably like, no, you can't. One of my friends was just competing at powerlifting nationals last weekend. And there are women out there who are, 75 80 years old who are competing at a national level in powerlifting and it is amazing to watch and it's so cool you know so if anybody's interested in getting into weightlifting we highly recommend (laughs) and more women are getting into it because it's awesome and Mm -hmm. gosh i just love it we could go into a whole conversation about like the whole stigma with women and and strength-based sports and all that stuff. But it is so Mm -hmm. great that we're seeing that and that women can even do that. So it's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I just wanted to thank you, Jordan, so much for coming on. I had so much fun with this interview and I hope you did too. Um, So please tell people all of the places that they can find you and her athlete. Yeah. uh, So I'm not great at social media. Um, You can... (laughs) Me, Jordan, J-O-U-R-D-A-N-N-N underscore 14. I made that account when I was 14. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm trying to be better with her athlete. So her athlete is on Instagram threads and TikTok. So uh, yeah, I hope you guys can follow along. Um, Her athlete is evolving a lot. Um, I'm a student and still an athlete and will be transitioning into life after sports soon-ish. So with that said, like you're going to see a lot of changes within her athlete, but I'm just hoping that that can be a space for people to come and just feel um, like they can connect, maybe a little validation for their feelings and, and hopefully too, just to learn something. And it does, like I have to say, it does feel like a very safe space no matter where you're coming from, which one would assume, you know, with coming from the credentials and background that you have, it could be a very intimidating space, but you're making it with the way that you're talking about, especially food and body image, and then also a very kind of evidence-based approach that is very easy to understand and I would find relatable and kind of actionable to people. I think you're doing a great job. Not that you needed to hear that from me, but... Thank you so much. I am always seeking. Like, I feel imposter syndrome in the dietetics world constantly. Um, I think everyone does, to be honest. <laughs> I actually know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'm trying to navigate between like, you know, respecting where I'm at as a student, but then also being able to provide just some sort of support for the hundreds of athletes that follow me and are invested in my journey. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that people find some kind of benefit from it. I think they definitely will. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Hey friends, it's Dana and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.